Blog Talk Radio. The Catch with John Fisher on Blog Talk Radio, connecting life to faith. We're just trying to get it together, trying to help the fellow man, hoping we can make it better. Good to be back. Welcome back to, I'm welcoming myself back to uh, Blog Talk Radio. Uh, we've uh, had a bit of a hiatus here and uh, my wife and I have been on retreat and uh, it's been fantastic. So uh, we are rested and ready to go again and uh, very excited about our guest tonight on blog talk radio who is not new to any of you who have been uh, listening to us over the years because he's a frequent guest um and uh he's in sacramento he has a been working for a number of years in public affairs uh in the last 12 years he's been president of his own company stutzman public affairs and in Sacramento, a lot of that is involved with uh, uh, politics and candidates and issues that uh, uh, need need uh, assistance and counsel and consultation. So that's that's what Rob does, and uh, he's a uh, actually quite a sought after pundit on uh, political issues. I read about him quite often in, in the paper. And uh, so we are very honored to be able to have him on our show and to get some of his perspective on things. And, uh, and then of course uh, we're very proud to uh, that, that Rob is also on our board of directors at catch ministry. So uh, we're very, we're very excited whenever we get a chance uh, to talk together with Rob. So please uh, welcome back to Blog Talk Radio, Rob Sutzman. Welcome, Rob. Hi, John. Thank you. Good to visit <laughs> with you once again. Yes, this is great. Uh, interesting, we're, you know, the elephant in the room, I guess, uh, tonight will be uh, the upcoming election here in California, which is in exactly one week. From today, uh, the recall vote involving our governor, uh, Gavin Newsom. Uh, I suppose we could spend a lot of time talking about that, but but we're not going to because we <laughs> have some other things we really want to talk about. However, I think it, it uh, like I said, it's the elephant in the room. Um, we probably should mention a couple things i how significant rob is this uh this election and and uh and you were involved in one of these especially one that put uh arnold schwarzenegger uh in the uh, governor's seat so uh how did this come about and and what does this mean do you think uh uh 
to us? Well, the important thing to understand is California, of all the states, uh, all 50 states, California has the easiest uh, threshold to trigger a recall election like this. Uh, hmm. The number of sign- signatures you have to gather is lower than any other state. So it's 12% of the people that voted in the last gubernatorial election. So okay. as I, you know, I, I, I've told many people, I think we would have recalls in other states after the, the past year if it was as easy to do as it is in California. Hmm. So, but in addition to that, you know, the governor here is, it made some missteps that were controversial and high profile and I think probably galvanized support enough support to to get the the petition signed and turned in. That takes some money, so some money was raised to do that and that's what's triggered this election. And what to me what's somewhat interesting about it is it will be the first major election in the United States since Donald Trump has left the White House. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I think that is a bit interesting. People like me that are consultants will be watching this. And then the yeah. Virginia governor's race will come shortly after to, to kind of see what the how the country is reacting and behaving at the polling place without Donald Trump in the White House. Yeah. Uh, is whoever loses this election going to uh, uh, say it was rigged? <laughs> there's that already some talk of that today. Yeah, there's yeah. yeah. Someone on Fox News uh, said, I think over the weekend, that uh, if Gavin Newsom beats the recall, it will be because the election was rigged. Oh my! And uh, my reaction is, well, there's twice as many Democrats as Republicans in California. That <laughs> that might have a bit more to do with it than anything yeah. else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it just it really does come down to how many uh, are going to vote, um, <laughs> probably. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that's kind of kind of crazy. And yet, I think also what might might be happening here, wouldn't you say, Rob, is this incredible polarity that we have now, uh, much greater than back when the last recall hit with uh, Gray Davis and 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 uh, put Arnold Schwarzenegger in, uh, it's almost, it appears to be uh, pol- uh, uh, driven mostly by uh, the political right and left against each other. Is that, am I right about that? No, no question. I mean, this continues to be a very tribal time in, in American politics. Uh, severe demonization of your political opponents. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's happening on the left. It's happening on the right. Uh, Very little dialogue, very little sense of of commonality and shared um, purpose as Americans in this world. Um, And that is pretty much defining our politics, whether it's a California recall or, um, or the, you know, presidential race that, yeah, it makes it very difficult for people that want to talk about consensus um, or building bridges um, uh, be able to uh, to be elevated in these processes. And people like that are basically shying away yeah. from putting themselves on the ballots and participating in, in politics right now. Wow. Wow. Um, 
Rob, we are uh, we're we're working uh, very directly right now on uh, uh, reaching as as many of us in catch ministry want to look towards the future. We we want to leave a, a legacy. Uh, we don't want to just uh, talk to the older generation. We want to talk to everybody. And we have a strong desire um, to connect with millennials, especially, and help mentor them, help encourage them, walk alongside, and uh, uh, help them, uh, you know, fit into the world and find their place in the kingdom of God. And what it, what does that mean? And what is the church going to mean to them? And a lot of these things are uh, uh, pretty much up for grabs right now. Uh, I'm just wondering where we, we're thinking a lot about millennials. Uh, and do are millennials going to have much to say in this election? And, and what about politics in general? Do you find them very interested or are they pretty pessimistic about uh, the scene right now? What, what's your take on on that generation. Well, I, I I wouldn't say well well one millennials well I guess one one thing about millennials is they're starting to actually get older. I think the first millennials <laughs> now are approaching yeah. forty, if not forty. So and you know it's true in a, in the American political system, the older you get, the more you participate. Uh, hmm. That's that's not that's not true in every democracy around the world, but in the United States, that's a pretty consistent pattern um, over the last century, at least. So, you know, millennials are going to have increasing influence. Their their, their numbers are increasing uh, um, in bodies, governing bodies like Congress, uh, particularly as they get older. Uh, mm-hmm. I wouldn't say they're de- I wouldn't say they're overly pessimistic. Um, they uh, they as generationally they tend to be focused on issues differently than their uh, Gen X and and baby boomers parents and grandparents. Uh, they view uh, issues like the environment, which with a lot more seriously than than do uh-huh. older older voters. Uh, I don't know if that's part of the age they were raised in, or, or also the fact yeah. that they're going to be here longer, so they they might care right. a little bit more about the environment and the future of the of the planet's ecosystems. Uh, they they tend to have a very uh, different view of social issues. They see abortion. Uh, not as a, a bifurcated issue, but as something that's much more nuanced. Um, as mm-hmm. do most Americans, based on you know polling that we're we're seeing now, there's there's more or less four positions you know people kind of fall into on abortion. Mm-hmm. But millennials are very much you know in the in those middle two and three type categories. Uh, they've seen things like uh, uh, gender issues and same-sex mm-hmm. marriage, uh, even amongst, you know, obviously evangelical millennials, they see that very differently than their, their parents or grandparents uh, may yeah. have. Uh, they're, they're very accepting. It's the life they live. They all have, of course, friends uh, that mm-hmm. um, are in same-sex relationships. And it, it seems, uh, I don't know if it's normalized, but it's, uh, it, it's the reality of the people they, they know and love. And so they have a different view of that when it comes to politics and policy. So they're they're different. They're they're beginning to shape politics nationally um, more more substantially, and that will continue to grow. 
uh, through the, the election cycles here of the 20s, when, you yeah. know, I would say by the end of the end of this decade, we very likely or very good chance we would have our first millennial president. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. And, and Rob, what about uh, what about justice? What about the whole issue of, of social justice? And, of course, uh, uh, would include racism there. Um, is that a big concern? Uh, it is. They're much, much more, yeah, much more reflective as to what uh, needs to change in the country and and why we have uh, institutionalized racism. They're very, they very much are willing to accept the notion of institutionalized racism. Again, more than their parents or grandparents may. Uh, the events of last summer around George Floyd, mm-hmm. uh, you know, mm-hmm. the very animating issue for a lot of millennials and Gen Z, I should add. Which, of course, we have Gen Zs now in the in the uh, voting age. Um, some probably to their second cycle coming up next year. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, no, 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 there's, there's a, there's a much more uh, concern about how do we, how do we fix some of these larger issues of inequity going back and repairing things like zoning um, covenants and, and, you know, interest in how do you redevelop parts of cities that have been neglected because um, that's not where the white people live. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, equi- equitable access to education um, owning property, things like that. I, 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 yeah, I think in, in that regard, I know I'm I'm fairly optimistic because I see these generations coming to, uh, to power to be able to, uh, hopefully change direction on some of these issues, uh, adjudicate the past, you know, with wisdom, um, mm-hmm. and hope hopefully, hopefully, hopefully to back on track on being, uh, towards yeah. being a more of a a perfect a perfect union. Yeah. Uh, along those lines, Rob, I'd like to ask you a, 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 what I think could be a really hard question. Um, and, and that is, as, as I look back on my own life as an evangelical, most of my life growing up in the church um, back in the 50s and 60s, um, and of course, even going through the civil rights movement in the early 60s, uh, I've there's something I've observed is a a huge disconnect in in the church in the evangelical church when it comes to uh, uh, justice and injustice. It, it just uh, doesn't come up, and uh, the civil rights movement um, pretty much missed me entirely and and I was very involved in the church youth group and all that but nobody really talked about this and uh what you know in the, and yet when you read your bible justice is all over the place uh and it's one of the main things that God is concerned about uh what happened where's where's the disconnect do you think well, it's it's interesting. I you know it's something I have been thinking a lot about and trying to understand better myself, John. I mean, I was born in the tumultuous American year of 1968, um, the height of the Vietnam War, the year Kennedy dies, MLK is yep. yep. literally assassinated the day I'm born, and <laughs> then you grow up in the I grew you know coming of age in the prosperous 80s in a, a very healthy, loving, wonderful evangelical church, but I was taught. I would look back and like, well, we were taught not to be racist, but not to be 
offended by racism or, or not to, not to, not racism was never elevated to anything we needed to do something about. Hmm. Um, we heard a lot about, we heard a lot about uh, abortion, um, uh, libertines, sexual hmm. mores, uh, pornography, but that no one, there was never the, we should really be animated and doing something about racism because uh, pretty much just like, well, don't be a racist. And if you're not a racist, you're good. Uh, and and no. so looking back, looking back and trying to understand, well, why, why was that? Uh, why didn't we have anti-racism week as much as we had pro-life week? Yeah. Um, yeah. Not, not to diminish one over the other, but it's like, a, you know, I can make the case that there should be some, some equity here on what we're considering yeah. these issues. And, yeah. uh, you know, I, I grew up in California. I didn't, I don't have the Southern church roots, I think, influencing my church the way you, it's clear to me that Southern denominations have a very uh, complicated, if not dark history at times, and actually uh, aiding and abetting institutional racism, of which yeah, I think they're still paying the price for. Uh, but I, you know, it, I think it pervaded, it pervaded white evangelical churches across the country. It just did never, it just didn't rise to this level. And I, yeah. I, I think it's sad. I think it's something we, you know, we should be working to correct now. Um, but the uh, the role of the church of, as you said, you, know, you feel like you missed it and you were in the middle of it uh, yeah. during the civil rights, you know, movement revolution, right? In the sixties, in the right. right? Changing the changing laws and in the midst of race riots, frankly, and and King's uh, leading of, of of the peaceful um, protest, uh, right? Where was the white evangelical church? I think it's a, I think it's a real problem. And yeah. Uh, yeah, part of my time here, especially working with my kids who are young adults, is to, to try to change their thinking, conditioning, or their changing mind. I should probably give them some credit, too, <laughs> uh, about yeah. these issues. Yeah. And the obligation well, that, of the church in these issues. I, I, I think that really, uh, really needs to change. And I, and I think, you know, it's interesting that you said, well, you know, we were always taught not to be racists, but um, we were not, we were not, we didn't talk about what that is. And we didn't talk about where, you know, maybe we are racist in ways we haven't even faced yet. Maybe we are blind here. And uh, I just, I feel like there's a lot of, uh, you know, introspection and and searching, and that we need to be going through as as a body. Um, and uh, just the fact the fact that you know we we were always around white people that was all we ever saw. Um, that itself is, you know, part of a problem. Um, <laughs> Yeah. You know, it tur- I think it, it, it turns out it is, and it and so they don't necessarily grow up understanding the relationships. Yeah. Um, right. You know, even if you know, if you were in a school with African American kids, did you really understand what their experience was uh, mm-hmm. in the community, yeah. interacting with police, what it felt like to walk into right. certain locations where they they clearly were um, more a minority. Mm-hmm. You know, I w- I just wish someone had to me the to be curious about all that and yeah. really and, it, and I go back to institutional race really understand 
the you know, terrible laws that were on the books, even in places like California. Um, there's this, in fact, there's the Sacramento, California, where, where I live, had, had a terrible history of this, of, of all the, the, the zoning that, that precluded um, blacks from being able to, to buy into neighborhoods. And it changed the course of cities uh, in yeah. ways that affected African-American families for generations. Yeah, yeah. Um, is that, just help me here, is that that whole idea, what we what we mean when we talk about systemic racism is that there's a, the problem in the system that doesn't even bring the issue up. Am I, is that right? Am I right about that? Well, there's, I mean, there's things that are, you know, memorialized in in laws, the way we enforce laws that I think, you know, people would define as institutional formation Mm -hmm. of racism. And then there's this, debate as to really what what does that mean and does it does it really exist i mean to me it plainly does it's it's right Mm -hmm. there in in statutes and (laughs) and regulations uh then there's also what you see in results you know i mean the the prisons are are disproportionately full of um hispanics and african-americans well you know why is that um if it's not institutional certainly there's got to be systemic Reasons. Yeah. So whether we want to call it institutional or systemic, um, there are deep-seated issues here yeah. to look at. And, I, you know, to me, it's church and Christians should be right in the middle of them. Um, oh, not to yeah. further complicate it all, but the you know, issue of compassion, and we've, this has been an issue the last couple of weeks, of course, is yeah. also refugees. And, right. and right. We're, you know, we're, where's the church in leading as a voice uh, for refugees advocating for them, but then also participating in their, you know, assimilation and care. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, along these lines, then let's get back to, let's get back to that discussion on millennials because these, these issues are important uh, to millennials. Things like uh, justice, the environment, climate change, um, as you as you brought up uh, different ideas that they have about genders relationships and and uh, it seems to me, Rob, that because of these things, this is perhaps part of why millennials, uh, you know, not many millennials are going to church. They're, they the uh, percentages are way down and. Uh, is I I feel like a lot of it might be that they don't feel like the uh, older generation cares about the things that they care about, um, and I'm well, I'm wondering. Uh, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Uh, so I think there's a dis there, there's there's a disconnect, and to the extent these are millennials or Gen Zers that grew up in what would be considered evangelical church, the, the, the word evangelical has taken on yeah. mm-hmm. uh, a, a political context, uh, mm-hmm. at least in the United States. There's a lot of reasons that's happened, but the reality is, reality is that's happened. So, you know, that, that's had an impact, I think, on a lot of, a lot of younger people too. Um, but it, it forces change in the church or it forces different types of, uh, mm-hmm. of churches um, or different ways for 
people to plug in this, to spiritual journey um, if they're not comfortable with the, the large institutions that they see their, their parents and grandparents uh, running in the churches that, that, that exist. But there's no question there's a, there's a turnoff. I had one professor, <laughs> professor at a Christian college I know. Um, we talked about this about a year ago, and he, he talked about how he's trying to he, – he doesn't know what to tell his Christian college students who are so profoundly disappointed and bewildered by their parents hmm. <laughs> in, so, in reacting to, uh, you know, the, the politics and the, mm-hmm. the, the nature of, the, of COVID and all of that. And it's, I mean, there is a bit of a, I guess, I guess we can chuckle about the irony of all the, all the years of, um, you know, adults worrying and being disappointed in their children. And we may be arriving at the moment where you yeah. know, Christian young people yeah. who are disappointed in the, in the, in the grownups. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, yeah, isn't that true? Well, okay. In, in our in our final few minutes, um, what can we do about this? As as older as older people, um, I'm older than you, of course. I'm 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 definitely the boomer generation. Uh, but uh, what can we do uh, instead of just you know? Uh, check our watch and say, well, I think I'm done. The world's a mess, but I'll, uh, I'm out of here. You know, I, I see a lot of people actually starting to think that way. And uh, I think that's awful. What can we do to connect with these, uh, with these younger people who are going to be uh, the leaders of the next generation and how can we help them and how can we, how can we change this picture? Well, I I think we can model for them is um, is an ethic of, of Christ, which is full of grace uh, and compassion. And the way you can model that is by engaging with them and asking them about why these issues that we've talked about may be so important to them and why they may have a different perspective in some ways, maybe even even if it is just nuanced ways, than, than what – you know, you may have as a boomer or for me as a Gen Xer. And mm-hmm. because that type of, it's that type of ability to want to listen is, is grace. Um, mm-hmm. It models everything we saw Christ do and who he'd go have dinner with <laughs> and hang out with. <laughs> uh, he, he was, he was curious and gracious, right? He wanted to, he wanted to be with people and be in relationship with people. And mm-hmm. I'll, uh, I, I, I agree. I think a lot of boomers, and I think it's, you know, not to pick on boomers. I think it's indicative of people that, they get to a certain age, they they don't want to be done or deal with it anymore. It gets complicated. Um, but in mm-hmm. some ways, that's kind of quit. I think that's kind of quitting on, on church community, to not want yeah. to reach back down gener- generation generationally. And I think by doing that, there's opportunity to really keep younger people moored uh, to the gospel, um, because you know mm-hmm. as they become unmoored from churches, I think there is things we have to be concerned about a little bit on. Yeah. Um, but some of us may be considered straying on some doctrine and, and theology, and we don't want that to form either. So, right. you know, there's 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 good reason for everyone to be uh, in community together as the body of Christ, mm. being very open to what we can learn from one another uh, over the span of of decades of different types of uh, experiences, understandings, and perspectives. Yeah. Yeah, boy, it's, uh, 
I, I, I am initially thinking right now, uh, based on your your illustration from from the uh, Christian College professor who said that now uh, <laughs> kids are disappointed in their parents. Um, the, the problem is, yes, we do need to listen, but you know. As we get older, we it's harder and harder for us to change our mind about things, and uh, that's a real challenge. Uh, I think we've we've got to be open uh, as older people to uh, seeing that there is another way to look at things, and uh, and maybe we should start listening um, to the millennials. Around us, I remind John. That reminds me, and I, I, I probably have mentioned this when we've discussed in the past. But I've, I've always been so profoundly struck by about the final interview Billy Graham gave, and it was, I believe, to Newsweek magazine. Mm. And uh, he he talked about um, as an old man uh, who hmm. lo- loves God uh, and pursued the heart of God <laughs> more than many of us can claim to, I'm sure. Um, hmm. How unsure he was of all those things he was so sure about how much more the beauty of the mystery uh, of Mm. God was to him. And I I think um, Mm. there's the example, right? The, the, the the man that was the example to all of us for decades. I hope we don't stop listening to what he had to really say at the end, um, Mm. which was to keep, keep wondering, keep learning, keep embracing uh, and let your heart be open. Um, and not to shut it to people. Wow. Wow. That's so good. That's so good. Rob, perfect conclusion. Um, thank you so much for uh, taking some time to be with us tonight. And uh, I'm sure this won't be the last. And uh, I I pray that uh, your work continues. Uh, and uh, God helps you. Um, as you connect your faith to the real world, uh, even the political world, it's, <laughs> that's a real challenge. So uh, thank you for hanging is, in there. It is a challenge. I appreciate yep. I appreciate those <laughs> prayers and, uh, and blessings to yep. you and Marty. God bless you for yep. your ministry at the catch. Okay, Rob. Thank you. Thank you so much. God bless. Thank you, old friend. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Oh, that is good. Ah. Never stop the catch with John Fisher. Never stop learning. Radio. Never stop being open to faith. You gotta, you gotta get that mindset. Body of Christ, the whole body of Christ is what we're looking for. Listen. Learn. Be open. God bless you all. See you next week.